Make their Christmas unforgettable with goat guns. Looking for the perfect gift for your husband or man who is a gun lover? Look no further. Goat guns are the greatest gift of all time miniature gun models. They are the perfect blend of quality and detail. From pistols to rifles, there's a goat gun for every collector, history buff, or gamer. Whether for display or for a fun collecting hobby, goat guns will bring joy and excitement to him. Surprise your loved ones this Christmas with a goat gun, the ultimate gift that won't disappoint. Shop at goatguns.com. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, where your source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development, where we share original research, explore industry trends, and interview executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We hope you join us often for practitioner-oriented content around all things related to leadership, HR, talent management, organizational development, and change management. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Do you enjoy the Human Capital Innovations Podcast? Enjoy ad-free listening by going to the Patreon page, and please consider contributing even at the producer or sponsorship level. And please leave a review. Thank you for your support. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Rodney Evans about adaptive organizational design and the future of work. Rodney Evans, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Thanks so much for having me, John. It's a pleasure to be with you today. You're joining us from North Carolina. I'm south of Salt Lake City in Utah. And today we're going to be talking about adaptive organizational design and the future of work. This is a topic I spend a lot of time thinking about. I do quite a bit of research in this space as well. And I love any time I have a chance to have a nice dialogue with someone about this. I hope this will be of particular interest to my audience today, as I think this is something we all should be grappling with uh, as we're coming out of the pandemic, as we're continuing to pivot and adapt and change, not only in relation to the way work has been the last couple of years, but really the whole trajectory of the shifting nature of work that we've seen in recent decades that's just continuing along a path that's probably going to make the way we work in 10, 20 years from now a bit unrecognizable from how it was, say, for our grandparents or grandparents. As we get started, I wanted to share Rodney's bio with everybody. Rodney Evans is a pioneer in adaptive organization design and the future of work. With 20 years of experience in all things transformation, she has researched, developed, and taught new ways of working in dozens of complex environments, including Airbnb, Cooper Hewitt Museum, Macy's Intuit, and Johnson & Johnson. The Ready is a self-managed change agency that helps you discover a better way of working. Rodney works with companies around the world to modernize traditional practices and bust bureaucracy. I love all of that. Anything else you would like to share with me or my listeners by way of your background or personal context before we dive on into the conversation? I mean, that that's that's the TLDR. I guess the the thing that might be compelling to your listeners is just that I am, you know, I'm a I'm a product of failed systems. Like <laughs> 
the way that I got into to the work I do now is because I grew up in bureaucracies and in in the crumbling systems that no longer serve us and then decided sort of for the back half of my career to uh, figure out how to change them. So um, so uh, so so that's how we got here. Yeah, we're all a product of <laughs> complex, often failed systems, aren't we? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> A good way it's just to look a question, at it. We stay in them or, or find our way out. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Okay. So let's start by unpacking a little bit what you mean by adaptive organization design. Uh, what does it mean for an organization to be more human centered and more adaptive? Yeah. Great question. So what I mean is an organization that has the ability to evolve, that has the ability to change as the external environment changes. And what I often see in organizations, big and small, is that they spend a lot of time and investment and cycles and talent on the what, like on the words in the strategy or the words in the plan or the plan itself, some on the why, like the reason for existing, and very little on the how. And what I find is that in order to respond to a pandemic, a disruption, a viral tweet, a black swan event, what we actually need, need is ways of working that allow us flexibility. So whether that is routines around decision making, an ability to change our organizational structure, um, an ability to make different kinds of trade-offs with our resources, like generally we are stuck in long, bureaucratic, inflexible, fragile, complicated process which makes it really hard when you have a pandemic to change the way that you work. And so so that's that's what I mean by an adaptive organization is one that can not seamlessly but 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 fairly flexibly and fairly nimbly respond as there are threats and opportunities that present themselves. And I'm happy to talk in more detail about whatever yeah. is interesting within that container. Yeah, and I think it's just worth double clicking on and and noting you know, how important it is just in the, in the modern workplace environment to be flexible, adaptive, to be able to have a learning culture where you can iterate rapidly, yeah. uh, learn and learn and grow regularly, right? The status quo um, won't typically work as we try to move into the future to respond to unforeseen challenges, uh, whatever that may be, pandemic, you know, economic downturn, uh, whatever, right? Uh, we we have to be ready and more adaptive, and and that's the the rub. That's the challenge because organizations are systems that are set up for the purpose of self perpetuation and to maintain the status quo. <laughs> so right. we're like we're trying to rethink organizational design so that it can be more adaptive and more flexible while still providing some of the benefits you know, of, of what really large corporations need in terms of just being able to function and maintain themselves uh, when you're dealing with complex organizations, right? So how do, how do you wrestle with that tension uh, between the need for some of the bureaucracy, the policies, practices, procedures, um, but also the reality of the modern workplace where we just need to be more flexible? Yeah. So I think the simplest answer to that question is that most organizations have way more bureaucracy than they need. 
So, so we, you know, we think of this conceptually as like organizational debt, just like you pay, um, you know, just like you pay interest on a financial loan, we pay interest on organizational debt with our time and our money and our talent. And and what I mean by organizational debt, and I use this example a lot because I worked in an investment bank for many years, is like in 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 a in a financial institution, when somebody makes like a fat finger trade, you know, like they just make an error and it costs the bank a lot of money. What often happens is that some new policy gets put in place to make sure that that error never happens again, right? Um, and that policy probably costs a lot of time because it's probably an additional layer of approval or an additional like check from the technology or an additional thing that has to go into the compliance training that every person has to do every whatever the thing is. And now it's like, okay, so maybe that trade cost us 50 grand. How much does that policy cost us? And was that exact mistake going to happen again? Does this policy prevent something really? And so and so I use that as sort of a silly example, but we see that again and again in terms of like roles that we still yeah. have, but we don't really need and rules that we made once, but maybe aren't really doing stuff and office space that like we thought we were going to use, but maybe has had tumbleweeds blowing through it for five years. And And so the question becomes not is all bureaucracy bad or are all constraints bad? They're not. The questions becomes, what is the minimum viable constraint on a complex system that allows the good stuff to emerge? And where are you over-constrained and basically servicing constraints rather than servicing the work of the business? I love that. (laughs) That, like you said, that uh, happens so often. And I don't think your example is a silly one. I think we've all experienced that again and again and again. And it's so frustrating when you, you literally are butting your head up against the wall repeatedly, bludgeoning yourself, just trying to move things forward for the yeah. benefit of your team, for the organization. And there's no good reason to not be able to do what you're trying to do other than that's just different than the way we've always done it. Or we do have this policy and that's this, you know, our interpretation is that you shouldn't do this because of this policy. And then the question arises, well, why do we have that policy? It may have served a purpose in a particular time and place. um, But even more likely, it's probably something like you described where it, it, it was in response to a very specific singular event or circumstance that it's probably not even helping to address or resolve in actuality anyways. And now it's just putting all these constraints on other people. We see that again and again and again. So I like to think about it in terms of bureaucracy pruning within organizations. Uh Totally. Like let's prune back. Do we need certain systems in place? Yes, we do. We absolutely do. And the more complex the organization, um, you know, the more important it's going to be to have meaningful, manageable uh, systems that will reinforce what you're trying to accomplish in your organization. But I totally agree with you. The vast majority of organizations have way more bureaucracy, may way more levels of approval and just all the policies, practices, and procedures that are, are enforced on people that you end up spending the majority of your time in your job trying to comply with company policy rather than actually bringing value to the market. And that's insane, but that's super common. It 
is insane. And the thing about it is that everybody knows it's insane. Like, you know, I, I worked in, in corporate HR for years and like, show me the HR professional who thinks that the four months a year they spend, like, you know, beating people into submission to do performance management is a good and valuable use of time. Like, it is a collective myth that we all just buy into and then keep doing it again and again. So like, I I totally agree with the pruning. And, and the other piece of this that I think is really important in terms of adaptivity is participation. So I think that in organizations that are trying to constrain themselves minimally, it's really important that the way that those constraints get created, get consented to, is with some input and representation from the people they impact. A, because we are hiring knowledge workers who are really smart and well-paid and have good ideas. And B, because when we create policy very centrally, often we're missing what is actually happening at the edge of the organization, where the organization meets the market, meets the customer, meets whatever. And without the input from there, we're going to have policy that becomes irrelevant very quickly. And like the the example of this that I love to use is um, I did some work with a big, big, big uh, restaurant company a number of years ago. And corporate created basically a like a checklist that servers had to use when they went to the table. And every time corporate had like a new dish they wanted to push or like a new um, thing that they had extra of, you know, or whatever the situation was, a thing got added to that checklist. And pretty soon you have a server who comes to your table and John comes in every Wednesday and every Wednesday he orders, orders the burger well done, and a glass of red wine. And I have to come up to you and read you a 16-item checklist. And I'm sitting here going like, I'm watching my tip go down as your eyes glaze over. You're like, could we just get to my burger? Like, you know what's coming next. And this is where like data from the edge, data from me and you at the edge where, where the server meets the customer is really important for corporate because the thing that they're trying to do is actually working at cross purposes with the customer experience. Yeah. So if if customer experience is king and employee experience is king, we're trying to have a more human-centered organization for all stakeholders, internal, external, right? If that yeah. is the focus and we recognize that's important, then why in the world would we have a, a situation like that where we would force uh, a waiter to tick off their the customers just because they're you're, they're trying to comply with some corporate edict. Uh, now, again, of course, there there are going to be some level of compliance with policies and systems that are necessary. And right now, we're not even talking about the legal environment, you know, <laughs> that a, a, an organization operates in. We're just talking internal to the organization. It's completely optional. It's the organization defining for themselves what the constraints are, and. There's legal compliance. That's a different beast. But when we're talking about what the organization has complete control over, all the constraints that they're creating, let's look at ways to prune back. So I really, really like the 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 approach on a more human and adapt, adaptive workplace, focusing more on the how, not just the what or the why. Like I'm a b- big believer in why. Uh, answering sure. that why question is super important. But so many people can answer the why question without ever getting beyond it. And that's, yeah. I think, what you're keying in on. So we have to be able to get to the how 
and past the what and the why so that we can actually drive change, right? Exactly. Exactly. And this is why change management fails all the time, right? It's because there's usually, I mean, not, maybe not usually, there's often a compelling why behind the the march that we're about to make to point B. There's usually a lot, a lot of time and energy focused on the on the plan, on the what. But it's like, you know, if we want to if we want to have a digital transformation or if we want to do a big acquisition or if we want to IPO or if we want to whatever we want to do that's going to require all of this change, it all comes to life in the how. Like, how do we meet? How do we make decisions? How do we clarify roles? How do we move talent around our organization? How do we pay? How like it's all in the how. Oh, and and because because frankly, I don't think that most of us in corporate environments are really taught or incentivized or asked to consider the how. We just sort of inherit the operating system that we move into. It just gets missed, and people are like, you know, like I have the experience of going into companies and going like, well, how do you make decisions? Like, how do you make a cross-functional decision here? And they're kind of like. What are you talking about? Like, we just do it. And I'm like, I bet, first of all, I bet you don't. And second of all, <laughs> there are ways to do that that are going to feel lighter, that are going to feel more inclusive, that are going to get you to a better outcome, that are going to be more evolutionary. But somebody has to take some interest in the how to actually consider what you're doing now, if it's serving your aims and what you could try instead. Yeah. And like you said, getting to the how will require you to talk to your people yeah. uh, because guess what? The C-suite doesn't know the how <laughs> they're, 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 they're vision strategic thinkers, which is important, but they're, they're not on the front lines and they just yeah. don't know the how, uh, yeah. or they don't know as well as those who are working on the front lines. So go talk to your people, get their input that will generate buy-in of course, which will pay dividends when you're trying to go through the change process, but it'll also just help you have a better how, because you'll actually be addressing real gaps, real problems and move in the, in the direction that's necessary. I, I promise you that your people on the front lines will be able to identify, they'll be able to tick off really quickly, all of the constraints that they Uh, have to deal with every day that are just hindering their work and their ability to be more productive, more innovative, more effective. Uh, And they'll be able to identify which ones make some sense and which ones are just stupid uh, and that you should get rid of. So talk to your people. And if you don't, you won't have the buy-in, but you also just won't have the right how, I don't think. Yeah. Yeah. And, And like, think about that representation in terms of getting the input from the folks. Make their Christmas unforgettable with goat guns. Looking for the perfect gift for your husband or man who is a gun lover? Look no further. Goat guns are the greatest gift of all time miniature gun models. They are the perfect blend of quality and detail. From pistols to rifles, there's a goat gun for every collector, history buff, or gamer. Whether for display or for a fun collecting hobby, goat guns will bring joy and excitement to him. Surprise your loved ones this Christmas with a goat gun, the ultimate gift that won't disappoint. Shop at GoatGuns.com. Folks who are on the front line, you know, assume that good ideas can come from anywhere. And then importantly, have the kind of routine, the kind of routines that that um, sort of harvest that. So it's like, are you doing something like a monthly retrospective? You know, if you're if you're this if you're this restaurant company, when you do your monthly retrospective for the 
executive team, are you, is there a GM in that? Are there servers in that? Like, are you, do you have voices that represent all of the perspectives that you need to make the kind of decisions that you're making? And, and I think the irony of what you said is like, I often find that what the, what the edge knows, what the frontline knows. And it's one of my, it's one of the reasons I love working with like call centers, which I haven't done a lot of, but like the people working in the call center know exactly how you could provide better customer service. And ironically, it's often the C-suite that's like, you know, our, our NPS score is garbage. Our customers are leaving in droves. We're getting sued left, right, and center. What could we do? And I'm like, if you just ask the dude that answers the phone, he can absolutely tell you what you can do. And often there's a really elegant solution there. And like that feedback loop just doesn't exist. Yeah, it often doesn't exist or what I've also seen is, is well-intentioned leaders who then invite people into the room to be a voice, but they don't create a psychologically safe environment where people actually feel like they can share their voice, where they can actually share an honest opinion. Yeah. Uh, so, so then they end up getting surrounded by sycophants and, and people who just tell them what they want to hear. And then they have this, the facade of like thinking they're getting input from the front line, but they're actually not. And I, and I recognize that can be a tricky thing. How do you involve voices? And then you're in that power dynamic of like, I'm now in a meeting with my boss and their boss. And, and I feel, you know, nervous. I get that. That's why you have to put extra effort into creating that psychological safety, creating just a culture of learning and a culture where everyone recognizes we all are going to be pushing each other. We're all going to be coaching each other. We're all going to be challenging each other's ideas from the top down. And if you create that kind of a culture, guess what? People are going to be willing to speak up uh, yeah. and they'll be willing to share their good ideas uh, regardless of where they happen to be in a hierarchy. Yeah, absolutely. And I also think an ingredient to 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 manifesting what you're talking about is having a real culture of experimentation. So one of the one of the big pieces of work that we do with clients is like trying to get them out of trying to predict and control the future, which is a farce and complexity, as you know, and, and really think about experimentation. And, and that takes a lot of the charge out of being right or being provocative or having a controversial take. Uh, obviously, a lot of the biggest innovations come from the least intuitive ideas but if we if we culturally are in a place of like what are you, what are we proposing what is safe to try and what is the experiment we could run versus what are we certain about what is the plan and who can we blame if it fails that's where we start to like get some magic cuz now it's like you know does like does dude in the call center have enough authority that he could try something different just on monday mornings and just see how the metrics move for only a month. And if it fails, we'll do something else. Like that's what we need to get to, to start to make these kinds of shifts to really having more adaptivity. Yeah. And, and making sure that it's safe for that person who's experimenting uh, exactly. to, to fail, right. <clears throat> and reframing what failure even means because exactly. we're, we're iterating, we're learning, we're adapting. It, experimentation is all about tweaking your hypothesis, right. Over time till you get to an answer. Uh, yeah. And so the the idea that we're going to kind of sit in our chairs in our ivory tower C-suite and strategically 
be able to look around the corner and see the future and plan for an unknowable future. And that whatever that plan is, it's just going to work out on the first try. I mean, that's crazy. That's, that's not going to happen. And anyone who's sitting in those meetings knows that that's not how it works. Um, But yet we don't empower people uh, who are on the front lines, who do have the experience with the customer, with the product or service directly uh, to, to just rapidly iterate and experiment. Nobody wants just catastrophic failures repeatedly. That's why you lower the stakes, right? Like you said, you give in your call center example, you know, one shift a a week for a month, see what happens. Like that's not going to harm. That's not going to harm anything. Right. And if it fails, you, you adapt and you learn from what worked and what didn't work. And now you try something else. And guess what? That low stakes iteration isn't about failure. It's about learning and growth. And so we just shift our mindset. We, we approach it that way and, and we empower people at all levels to do that in, in their work. And now you have a, a dynamic organization design where people can uh, rapidly adapt towards the shifting landscape around them, whether that's a technological disruption, whether that's some geopolitical or socioeconomic shift that's occurring or a pandemic or whatever it is, we know there will be stuff that's constantly happening. We just don't know what exactly it will be. And we don't know exactly what the impact will be, but we'll then be prepared to lean into the challenges that we're going to face. And when we're so enmeshed in just the, the bureaucracy, the thick bureaucracy, uh, even when we can start to see what needs to change, we're not able to, uh, and we're just too slow in responding. And, and then, you know, our company, our team, our people are going to hurt and people are going to leave and it's just going to be very, very painful and unnecessarily so. Yeah. Then we have what we have now on balance and, and, and two things like just in, in response to what you just said, one is I think the point that you made about, you know, you and I have talked a bunch in this conversation about the front line because it tends to be like ignored and over constrained. But truly, this kind of mentality, practice, way of working does need to exist at every level of the organization. And usually in large organizations, the group that I find the most stuck is middle management because like their job is like traffic cop. They're just like, I'm just trying not to get yelled at basically is like my whole reason for existing. And like the day the phone doesn't ring is a good day for me. And so it's like those, like I want those people to be thinking like if all of the middle management of every large bureaucracy in America made their job for one year to become the best experimentation machine, like imagine what could happen. Because again, it's not about exactly what the experiment is it's how good are you at experimenting like how much muscle do you have around sensing something that's not working sensing a disruption coming sensing a trend in the market sensing what a competitor is doing having a wild idea in the shower and designing a safe to try experiment to like shake something up it's like that that is um that's what we're missing, you know, and for all of the dollars and words spent on like innovation and agility, I'm like, y'all, it's not that hard. It's it's that we have to have a, a practice and a stomach and real skills for experimentation. And we're just missing that because we don't learn it anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Great points, Rodney. This has just been such a fun conversation. 
we could go on and on and on, but I know at the time and I need to let you go. So before we wrap things up for today, I wanted to give you a chance to share with listeners how they can connect with you, find out more about your work, and then give us a final word on the topic for today. Okay. So, um, uh, I my company is The Ready. It is theready.com. I co-host a podcast called Brave New Work, and I'm on Twitter at Rodney Evans919. Um, final word. That's hard, John. Um, you know what? Start from where you have agency. If you want to make a change in your workplace, in your job, in your day, don't start with trying to get buy-in from someone else. Try something that you can control. Maybe it's something boring. Maybe it's something unsexy. But try incremental progress within your own locus of control and see what kind of ripple effects it creates. I love it. I, I talk about that in terms of sphere of influence. Everyone has it. You you have your sphere of influence. Let's get started today in making a difference, making a change for ourselves, for our team, uh, and then things can grow from there. Well, Rodney, it has been a real pleasure. I encourage my audience to reach out, get connected, find out more about what Rodney and her team can do for you. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. If you enjoy the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, enjoy ad-free listening by going to the Patreon page, and please consider contributing even at the producer or sponsorship level. And please leave a review. Thank you for your support. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week.